Welcome to Turning Point. There's nothing like the thrill of falling in love. But what once burned brightly can also burn out quickly. Today, Dr. David Jeremiah describes an ancient church that had once burned with love for the Lord, but soon grew cold. What does Jesus have to say to such a church then and now? We'll find out as David introduces today's message, Losing Your First Love. I want to thank you so much for joining us today and for the opportunity we have to open the scriptures uh, together with you. So many of you uh, tell us where you are and uh, what you're doing when Turning Point comes on the air, how you protect the time. So many people tell me, I tell my friends, don't call me, don't don't ring me up on the phone. I'm listening to Turning Point and studying the Word of God. And those comments are such an encouragement to me and make me want to work even harder to make the Word of God relevant and meaningful to you every day. As we uh, look down these next few days of Turning Point Radio, we're going to be talking about uh, the churches to which Christ addressed a special message in the first few chapters of Revelation. Uh, These are uh, prophetic truths in some respect, but they're also very personal and uh, ecclesiastical messages. In other words, in these churches, you will find your church and you will find yourself. One of my favorite passages of Scripture in the book of Revelation is the first seven verses of the second chapter. This is a message that I have shared on numerous occasions, and it has always been met with encouragement and help. There's not one of us that haven't gone through some dry times in our lives as followers of Christ. And what do we do when it seems like our first uh, enthusiastic love for the Lord has waned and we were kind of in a tough place? The letter uh, from our Lord to the church in Ephesus is filled with practical information about how to recover your first love. We're going to get started with that in just a moment. But first, let me remind you again of this beautiful book that we're making available to you during the month of March. The Book of Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies, uh, will help you learn to recognize the signs of our day through a biblical lens. And it takes difficult things, and we've tried to make them easy. Uh, The book is uh, 400-plus pages, and it's yours for a gift of any size to Turning Point. Simply ask for this book when you send your gift today. I want to encourage you to be faithful in supporting this ministry. It's because of your faithfulness and your generosity that we're able to continue to do what we're doing all over the world in teaching the Word of God. Yes, even the prophetic Word of God that God has promised to bless if we do it. He's blessing you through your study of it, and we encourage you to help us this month with your gift and ask for this 463-page book, and it will be shipped to you as soon as we get your request. Now, let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, and let's find out what to do when you lose your first love. As most of you know, somewhere along the way, I got myself into a routine where I was writing a major book every year. I figured out how to get into it. I'm, I'm not sure how to get out of it. But it goes all the way back to Captured by Grace, and what in the world is going on, and living with confidence in a chaotic world, and I never thought I'd see the day. Now you can figure that one's not going to be hard to sort out what that's about. It's about the cultural crisis in our country. 
I divided the book up into 10 chapters and nine chapters are about areas in life that have really changed a lot in your time and in mine. We are in the midst as a nation of a slow drift in the wrong direction. I don't think I need to make anything more of that except to say that it is true. And so when that happens, you watch it and you think, okay, now what can I do? Well, you can write a book. I wrote a book. (laughs) What can you do as an individual Christian? And how should you respond to the slow drift in the wrong direction? I believe that what God would have us do is to, for a few moments, take our eyes off of what's happening in the world and ask ourselves about what's happening in the church. Is it possible that the church is in a slow drift in the wrong direction? And after you get done with the church, maybe you should take it even more personally and say, what about me? Could it be that I'm in a slow drift in the wrong direction? And if you ask those questions, you will be very much in tune with some letters that were written in the early church that are recorded for us in the book of Revelation. Chapter 2 of the book of Revelation begins the section which is described in chapter 1, verse 19 as the things which are. In chapters 2 and 3, John writes to churches that are in existence at the time he is in exile on the Isle of Patmos. He writes to these seven churches about things which are, things that are happening. And the things that are written to the seven churches of Asia Minor are so timeless that they could have been written to the church of 2012. The book of Revelation was to go to all seven of those churches. And the individual letters that were written to all of the churches were addressed by Christ to separate churches, but all of the churches would read all of the letters that were written to all of the churches because it traveled together with this letter we know as the book of Revelation. The letters aren't long. In fact, they're relatively short. They're brief. And before looking at this first letter, which is the letter that was written to the church of Ephesus, I want to point out three perspectives that we need to have as we look at all of these letters. First of all, we need to look at each of these letters in their primary association. In other words, it comes as a surprise to many prophetic teachers. These are real letters that were written to real churches, that were located in real cities, in real countries. These were historic moments. In fact, the Isle of Patmos from which John wrote those letters to those churches, he starts with Ephesus and writes letters to the churches going around in a circle, starting with Ephesus and ending with the church in Laodicea. These were real places. These were churches kind of like our church. John knew these churches. He had visited some of them. He knew about them. He knew what was going on in these churches. And so while he was in exile, that means he was separated from people on the Isle of Patmos, he drafted a letter to each of these churches and spoke to them about the realities of their congregation. Each of these letters begins with the words, I know your works. (laughs) And each has a promise 
for those who will overcome. But each message is tailored to the needs of the church to which it is addressed, and each of the letters has to be read in its own context. So the letters come, first of all, by way of their primary association. But notice, secondly, there's a personal application to these letters. The great value of these letters, beyond the first century, is that it identifies the kind of Christians who show up in church in every age. As we study the contents of this letter, we will probably think of individuals or churches that we know about. They will remind us of people. They will remind us of places that manifest the characteristics that are described here in Revelation 2. The Bible says that the Lord is the one who is searching the churches. The eyes of fire that are described of him in the first chapter of Revelation, he is searching the heart of the churches to see what they really are. And ladies and gentlemen, it would be good, would it not, if we could get the perspective of the head of the church on what's going on in the church today. Because I don't know about the rest of you, but sometimes I really get confused. When I see all the stuff that comes across my desk called church. Problems faced by modern churches could be solved by reading the recommendations that the Lord made to the seven churches of Asia Minor. It is interesting that all seven churches got to read the short letters written to each of the other churches since they all were contained in this book. So every church found out something about the other churches in that circle. One writer that I read on this study said that what Christ thinks of the church is a question that no professing Christian can ignore. What Christians think of the church from the outside and the inside, I mean, Barna's reports and all that stuff, maybe that's important. But far more significant is the opinion of Jesus Christ himself. The church's founder, the church's Lord. Thankfully, we don't have to wonder what he thinks because here in these letters, he's going to tell us what he thinks of these churches. And finally, not only do we see these letters in their primary association, I mean actual churches, and make the application to our own hearts as we read these letters, but there's also a prophetic anticipation of these letters. Let me explain to you what I mean. You see those churches as they're listed going around in the circle? Prophetic scholars have studied the letters to the churches and the condition of these churches, and they have discovered that the seven churches represent seven ages of history in the history of the church. For instance, the church at Ephesus represents the early church that's recorded for us in the book of Acts. What is the last church on the list? The church of Laodicea. And the Bible says that that church was scored because it was neither hot nor cold, but it was lukewarm, and it was so disgusting to God that he said he was going to spit it out of his mouth. Believe it or not, that's the church that will be on the earth when Jesus comes back to get us and take us home. And many people believe we may be living in the Laodicean age of the church. You make up your own mind about that. Now, as we begin this letter, and I'm going to go through some of this quickly so we can spend time where we really need to, we first of all notice the destination of the letter in the first verse, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write. Now, this letter is addressed to the angel of the church or the messenger of the church at Ephesus. Somebody says, does every church have an angel? Yes, it's the pastor. You think I'm kidding, don't you? 
No, the word angel is the same word that is used for a pastor, for one who declares the word of God. And so these letters were written, and it was written in the language of the New Testament. They wrote it, and they gave it to the angel of the church, the pastor of the church. It was a cosmopolitan and cultured city to which this first letter was written. The most prominent city in Roman Asia Minor was the city of Ephesus. I wish I had time just to tell you about this city. By the way, the book of Ephesians was written to the church that was in Ephesus. So now you can connect Revelation chapter 2 with the book of Ephesians. The church in Ephesus and Ephesus itself was a cosmopolitan and cultural city filled with rich and poor alike. It was the home to one of the seven wonders of the world, the Temple of Diana. The Temple of Diana was the theater of immorality. (laughs) Great revenue was derived from the sale of statues of Diana. Prostitution was part of the religious practice of the city. And Paul established the church in Ephesus on his second missionary journey He spent three years there, and the letter that we know as Ephesians was written by Paul to the Christian church in that city. Paul had established Timothy as the pastor of the church, and the two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy were received by Timothy while he was a pastor in the city of Ephesus. I can't imagine what it would have been like to pastor a church in Ephesus in the moral situation in which it found itself. If I hang around long enough, I'm probably going to find out. Because it seems like that's where we're going. It is likely that John the Apostle became the head of the church in Ephesus following Timothy's ministry. And it was while John was living in Ephesus that he was taken captive and he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos where he spent his closing days and from which he wrote the entire book of Revelation. So the letter we call the first letter to the angel of the church of Ephesus was written to that kind of a city. You kind of get a picture of it in your mind as I've described it. Now, in every one of the letters, before the letter is actually begun, the writer of the letter, who is ultimately Jesus Christ, describes himself. In fact, all seven letters have a description of Christ, and each description of Christ focuses in on some aspect of who Christ is. So notice the last part of the first verse in the second chapter. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now it's fascinating to discover that as Christ delivers his message to each of the seven churches, he focuses on one part of who he is, and he applies that character of himself to the church and the church's needs. The substance of the book of Revelation is about Christ. In fact, most Bibles have that at the top of the page, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The first word in the book of Revelation in the Greek language is the word apocalypsis, which means the revelation. This book is not just about the future. We often think revelations, oh, that's all those scary prophecies. No, the real nature of the book of Revelation is it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
And in the letters that are written in the second and third chapters, we learn much about Christ. Here we are told that Jesus Christ is the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. What he is saying to this church at the very beginning is that no matter what their problems are, he is the authoritative right hand of power in the midst of them. He walks among these churches. He holds control of these churches. He's in the midst of these churches. It almost reminds me of Matthew 18, which says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Not only is the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of us when we gather, but the Lord Jesus Christ is in the midst of all the churches today. Did you know that? He walks among the churches, making his presence known, and perhaps looking at how we do church and whether or not we're committed to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. So the letter is written to the church in Ephesus, and Christ is described in the terms of the first verse. And now the body of the letter is the important thing that we want to see, verses 2 and 3. We might call this the diagnosis of the church, verses 2 and 3. Read these words with me. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. You have found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience, and you have labored for my name's sake, and you have not become weary. Now, that's a pretty good dossier for a church. I mean, let's face it. That's a pretty good list of qualities for a local church. Let's break it down for just a little bit, and you'll see what I mean. First of all, the church in Ephesus was a dynamic church. He says, I know your works. The members of the church in Ephesus were fully occupied, entertaining the lonely, taking care of the sick, teaching the young and visiting the aged. No doubt some gave hours of their time to making and mending and sewing and knitting for the church. Others spent their leisure hours writing and cooking and cleaning and organizing. The church of Ephesus was a beehive of industry. It was a working church. The church was busy. The congregation was doing the work of the Lord. We often de-emphasize the importance of good works because we don't want to water down the importance of grace. We know that you cannot be saved by good works. You're saved by grace. But we also know that once you are saved, it's all right to do some good works. In fact, one of the roles of the church is to stir people up to do good works. Well, the church at Ephesus was flat out stirred up. They were a working church. And I want to say to you that whenever you find a clear message of grace taught correctly, properly, without apology, you will also find a working church. People who understand grace biblically also abound in their work for the Lord. While not being saved by good works, they understand that they've been saved for good works. And the Bible says that because of Ephesus, the word of God was spreading throughout Asia as a result of the activities of this local church in this immoral city. In one verse in the book of Acts, we are given a picture of the dynamic nature of the Ephesian church. Here's what we read in Acts 19.10. 
all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Because of that dynamic church, the whole area was being flooded with the gospel. This church was on fire for God. It was a dedicated church. It says here, I know your works and I know your labor. You say, well, isn't that the same thing? No, those are two different words. They mean two different things. The word labor means to work to the point of exhaustion. That is, the Ephesians were paying a price to serve the Lord. There is even a hint of weariness in this word. In the church in Ephesus, there were many who were doing the work of God, and there were many who were doing the work, the labor. They were pressing the limits. You know, sometimes in our churches today, because we have paid staff, it's easy for members to think that everything will get done without them. The people in the Ephesian church didn't hesitate to serve God with their whole hearts. They labored and they worked. This was a good church. The Bible also says they were determined. Not only dynamic and dedicated, they were determined. It says, and you have persevered and you have patience. The word patience occurs twice with reference to the church in Ephesus. Once in verse 2 concerning their service and again in verse 3 concerning their suffering. This is the kind of patience that endures but maintains a forward motion. This was patience as they served and as they suffered for the sake of the gospel. Back in Acts 19, we read of the fierce opposition at Ephesus that was encountered, that the people there in the church, many of them were hated and despised, but they did not give up. They persevered. They were patient in their afflictions. And Christians like the Ephesians get better as things get tougher And the Ephesian church was filled with people who were tough as nails with regard to the opposition that they faced. While I was studying for this, I came across a statement by English preacher Charles H. Spurgeon. I wrote this down. I'll never get rid of this one. I love this little paragraph. This is what he said. Pray to God to send a few men with what the Americans call grit in them. Men who, when they know a thing to be right, will not turn away or turn aside or stop. Men who will persevere all the more because there are difficulties to meet or foes to encounter. Men who stand all the more true to their master because they are opposed. Men who, the more they are thrust into the fire, the hotter they become. Men who, like the bow, the further the string is drawn, the more powerfully it sends forth its arrows. And so the more they are trodden upon, the more mighty they will become in the cause of truth against error. Spurgeon said, please send us here in London some men with what the Americans call grit. And I think we could use some of those kind of people too, don't you? We need more and more of those folks, and we're going to need them more and more as we work through the things that are happening in our culture men who will stand true to what they know is right, even though it may not make them the most popular person on the block. Mm. 
Well, we'll finish that up tomorrow here on Turning Point, and we'll have some very personal applications, not only about your first love for Christ, but your first love in your marriage relationship as well. This is uh, Turning Point. I'm David Jeremiah, and we come every day into your home Monday through Friday on this good station. We're so thankful for your support, and during this month, when you send your support to Turning Point in way of a gift, we want to send to you a very beautiful book called 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. Friends, it's 463 pages, and it's really a textbook on prophecy. It's a book that you will refer to over and over again. We have a beautiful scripture and um, topical index in the back of the book. This is really one of the best resources we've ever offered, and it's wonderful to have it during the month of March. For those of you who will help us with the gift of any size, we encourage you to help us this month with your gift and ask for this 463-page book, and it will be shipped to you as soon as we get your request. And then don't forget, if you're not receiving our magazine, Turning Points Magazine and Devotional is available, and we'd love to send the next issue to you absolutely free. Ask about it when you call or write today. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Seven Churches of Revelation, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's informative book, The Book of Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions available in your choice of handsome cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the seven churches of Revelation here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. The book of Revelation is filled with mystery, prophecy, and numbers. In fact, the number seven is mentioned 54 times. Dr. David Jeremiah helps us understand these sevens in the Revelation 7 Study Handbook and Seven Praises Bookmark, yours this month for a gift of any amount. And when you give a gift of $60 or more, you'll gain a clearer understanding with the Seven Churches of Revelation Study Set, which includes a CD or DVD album and study guide. Go to davidjeremiah.ca to learn more. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. 
It is said that the great French novelist Victor Hugo once had a writing deadline bearing down on him. To make sure he stayed dedicated to his work, he cut off half his hair and half his beard, then tossed the scissors out the window. He couldn't go out in public that way, so he had to stay inside and complete his work. You and I have life's final deadline drawing steadily closer. Thankfully, there is a simple way to meet it. Place our faith in Jesus Christ. So when that ultimate deadline arrives, we can meet it with joy and celebration. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's way to meet life's final deadline on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.